<laughs> the transfer window is part of the Daily Record Podcast Network. Subscribe at iTunes or Audio Boom. Good day. Welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast, the podcast that reaches the parts other podcasts cannot reach. I'm here with Ian McGarry and Duncan Castles, our Transfer Window regulars. I'm Henry McRae, and we've got a lot to get through today, including as Carlo Ancelotti bids up Wiedersehen to Bayern München, could he soon be blowing bubbles in East London, whoever bubbles is. We'll ask what now for Man City, after Sergio Aguero went to see hot Latin crooner Maluma in Amsterdam and came back with a broken rib to add to Pep Guardiola's woes after Benjamin Mendy was ruled out for the season. It's not just City of Manchester who are suffering injury setbacks, but United are as well, with Paul Pogba among a string of players unavailable only two months into the season. And we'll pay a return visit to Paris for the latest instalment of the new FC Hollywood, with Neymar continuing to throw his toys out of the pram and Edison Cavani reportedly refusing to be bought off penalty duties by his own club. So, we'll start, I think, with the biggest story of the week, and that was the Twitter spat or incident involving our very own Dr. Duncan Castles and one Benjamin Mendy of Manchester City. Duncan, tell us what was going on this week with you and the Manchester City fullback. <laughs> well, like it was a, a simple report about um, you know, the unfor- really unfortunate injury that Benjamin Mendy suffered um, against Crystal Palace last weekend. Um, yeah, I'd got some information from uh, contacts at Manchester City that he had uh, he had ruptured his, his uh, um, anterior cruciate ligament and it looked a very bad injury and they feared that he was out for the season. Um, Obviously, they wanted to send him to the specialist doctor that um, Pep Guardiola trusts in Barcelona, um, Dr. Ramon Cugat, to have a final look at that and to to put, to have the operation, which is going to take place today, um, if he concluded concurred that it was necessary. So I just uh, put out a, a tweet saying that the, the concern for Manchester City was that he dropped that Mendy had ruptured his. Um, ACL and if that was the case um, he'd be out for nine months and, and I think um, Benjamin who's very active and very entertaining on Twitter and you know a great obviously a great character as well as a great um, fullback great defense defensive addition to the Premier League to have a player of that ability he I think um, didn't quite pick up on the nuances of the English when he read the, um, the initial tweet and thought I was reporting that he had ruptured his cruciate and that he was out for nine months and um, decided to uh, pick me up on that and uh, asked whether I was a graduated doctor and how I could know that before um, before he'd had a, a, a test on his uh, on his knee. And the funny thing is, you are a graduated doctor. Yeah, I'm a graduated doctor, yes, yeah, so I didn't think it was, uh, <laughs> it was the time to bring that up as we were, <laughs> we were discussing it over over the Twitter airwaves um, on uh, on Wednesday evening. <laughs> I think what's <clears throat> very difficult for um, for Guardiola and Manchester City is um, they've had this very, very impressive start to the season. Their momentum has 
it's, it's almost at its peak. And now they suffered a very serious blow in terms of the positional um, uh, detriment which Mendy's absence will cause. Uh, we know and we discussed at great length in the summer during the Transfer Window podcast that City had tried to sign both Ryan Bertrand and Danny Rose, um, also both left-backs, as we know, um, in, in order to give cover for Benjamin Mendy and failed to do so. And, of course, Fabian Delph ends up starting at left-back. Now, Delph, um, despite his co England squad, which I get the feeling, and this is an aside, that Gar Southgate watches football the weekend, sees him score a great goal and thinks, oh, yeah, I forgot about him, stick him in the squad. Um, but Delph is not a left-back, and Delph will be found out at you know games like Chelsea uh, away at, on Saturday this weekend and Champions League games. So I think this is a serious blow for, for, for City um, at a time when they're tying for top place in the Premier League with Manchester United. There's a Manchester derby on the horizon. Um, and Mendy, as Duncan rightly says, is a great addition to the Premier League um, in terms of his, his talent and ability. So I think this is something that we're going to see develop in terms of just how it affects Pep Guardiola's team in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, look, look I, I think... When we were discussing the, this Premier League season a few weeks ago in this podcast, I said that I thought the title was going to be very tight and it would probably come down to things like uh, injuries or a, 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 an unfortunate moment in the game or a bad decision. It could be that tight. And, and this for Manchester City is just about the worst possible injury they could have. They, they broke the transfer record for a defender to sign Mendy. Um, they, you know, Guardiola said time and time again how important it was to him to get full-backs who could cover the entire length of the pitch and contribute to attacking play as well as tighten up the defence. They signed three, he wanted four. Um, Mendy has started superbly well. It's made a huge difference to the way they've been able to play. Um, but they're now left in a situation where the one player that... that, that, that Guardiola had said was key to, to the way he wanted to play this season and they didn't have cover for has got injured and is going to be out for the season. Um, Guardiola's talked about having uh, options to, to play in that position but those options are Danilo who's a right back who is of questionable defensive strength you know there's a reason why Real Madrid wanted to move him on definitely more comfortable on the right side than the left. Fabian Delph who's was a player that Manchester City wanted to move on this summer and they, they seem to have discovered that they could deploy him at left back and I agree with you Ian, I think that the test for Fabian is going to be when he plays against strong opposition to target him, which hasn't happened yet. And then the third guy he mentioned was Alexander Zinchenko, who is a 20-year-old Ukrainian attacking midfielder who's left-footed, yes, but the idea that he is um, appropriate cover um, for a, a tactical plan that's been built around good attacking left-backs is just, you know, that's extremely worrying indeed. Yeah, yeah, again, Duncan, it does, it absolutely, it puzzles me so much that a club like Manchester City, where resources are infinite, where planning takes place months in advance of a new season, and we saw it in Pep's first season as well, where he went into a season defensively unprepared, with ageing fullbacks who proved to be liability in games, losing goals. So he goes to remedy that last summer, but he still falls short on one. Why did they not have a recognised substitute left-back in that squad 
who is of reasonable experience. It just it frustrates me as well because I think if I'm running that football club, I'm thinking to myself, "Hang on, this can't be right." You know, we spent all this money and we find ourselves playing Fabian Delph um, at left back, and then you know they will lose points and lose and lose goals over that. It just puzzles me. It really does. Um, but in saying that, <clears throat> I think we all know uh, from news and from Amsterdam overnight that uh, Mendy's not their only problem because, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, Henry, um, Sergio Aguero decided to have a night out midweek, which in itself is slightly puzzling to me, and we'll come to that, that players are allowed to go to Amsterdam on a Thursday night to see some Chilean uh, crooner who's doing his bad boy dirty girl tour. Um, because he's a mate of his play and ends up in a car crash in a taxi. I mean, car crash is one way to describe it, but I'd say it's a lot worse for, for City, Duncan. Yeah, look, it, it's we, we don't know the extent of the injury that, and it, it must be seriously concerning for City because it's a car crash. So you could have multiple areas of the body injured from that, depending on how well, severe... Well, you're a doctor, so you can tell us. <laughs> um, the... Look, the, the, the word coming out from South America this morning that he's broken multiple ribs. Um, I, I talked to a physio at a Premier League club this morning and asked him if he's got broken ribs, what does that mean in terms of absence? And he said it can be anything. If, it's not, if, the, if the damage isn't too bad, you can actually um, strap it up, use painkillers and play the guy immediately. But if the damage is severe, it could be up to six weeks. Now, that's if it's just broken ribs. If you get into other areas of the body, then, then we could be looking at a longer absence, and that's what City will be trying to find out today. Um, that again, when you're looking at squad planning, City have put themselves in a difficult position here because they only have two recognised, experienced strikers in that squad, Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero. And... Guardiola has quite often been playing the two of them together in, the, in his team this season. Not all the time, but frequently he's had both of them up front. So he's got no backups now if he wants to play. If he, want, he, well, he can't play a two-striker system, Aguero's out, unless he wants to try and convert one of his other players into that role. And he's stuck with a one-striker system if Aguero's out for a while and, and putting a lot of demands on on extra demands on Gabriel Jesus on his first full season in the Premier League. So, so they, okay, this Alexis Sanchez situation put them, put them into that because they thought they could buy him and, and Arsenal didn't let the, the deal go through. But again, it's a lack of, of pre-planning and, and could have been sorted earlier. Just to go back to the full-backs, they, got them, they wanted to clear their four full-backs out. Guardiola didn't have trust in any of them. He talked publicly about how they couldn't go up and down the field, how they were too slow and they were too old. But the mistake they made there was they cleared them all out before they signed the new players in. He could have yeah. retained one of those guys. Kolarov was the one he used the most last season and waited until... Um, they, they'd signed the four players to let Kolarov go. City have the, the financial largesse to be able to take a hit like that in Kolarov's sale by keeping them on until they're sure they've got the, the all four replacements. But they didn't yeah. do that, and now they're paying the cost. Well, I mean, I, I, I'd like to say that I can um, empathise with Sergio Aguero with regarding a broken rib, because from personal experience, uh, I broke my uh, a rib about 18 months ago, having been chased by a peregrine falcon uh, and falling down uh, in that chase. And um, it took about three, four months before it actually got any better. 
And then one day I was um, just you know, minding my own business and sneezed rather strongly and then felt this incredible searing pain where my rib had been broken and I'd popped my rib out just through sneezing. Now that shows you just how um, fragile those bones can be. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I would say if, if a girl's got several cracked or fractured broken ribs, then um, six weeks would be a, a generous um, uh, assessment of when you'll come back because they, they, it's something you can't actually treat. You can only, uh, they can only get better by rest. Um, you can't mend or solder a bone back together in the ribs. It has to be something which the, the body cures itself. So um, I'm sure it will use... Um, cryo tanks and everything else to make sure that that process is speeded up. But you're right, Duncan. And Gabriel Jesus, they have an amazingly uh, able replacement for Sergio Aguero. But as we saw last season, Jesus himself is, is injury prone. It certainly was very unlucky to get injured, which ended his season early. Now, the selling of uh, Ineanacho to Leicester City may look imprudent uh, today, given what's happened. Um, with Aguero's bad boy car crash in Amsterdam last night. Carlo Ancelotti, now available on the job market. Who is going to swoop for Carlo and uh, appoint him as the new manager? Well, I think, um, <clears throat> first of all, Carlo Ancelotti's been very unlucky in the manner of his sacking. And by that, I mean not to do with results or anything else. But he replaced Pep Guardiola at a time when... Um, Manchester sorry, and Bayern Munich needed a, a coach who was, uh, let's just say, less uh, susceptible to the mood swings of Guardiola. They wanted someone of a, a sort of more even temperament, an older head, <clears throat> someone who could steer the uh, the club through a contract uh, and a transition phase um, that they uh, are still trying to uh, to find the right path. Results have. have Unfortunately for Carlo, um, resulted in his sacking uh, yesterday. And I think Ancelotti himself, having, knowing him well from his time at Chelsea and having kept in touch with him since he left, <clears throat> would certainly um, relish a return to England and the Premier League. Now, <clears throat> what we know is that coming up in the next uh, two weeks is the, uh, the graveyard of managers who are not performing well, uh, otherwise known as the international break. And um, this is a, a crucial time for clubs um, who are underperforming because they can make a change, they can bring a coach in, you can work with players who are still there. But more importantly, I think as well, it's a coach who can then plan for the January window and to replace players or augment the squad in ways that he sees will be crucial for the final five months of the season where either you obviously get into Europe or you get relegated or you survive, etc., who are we talking about? Well, West Ham United has to be the most obvious candidate for that. Uh, it was only two weeks ago that we believed that uh, Slavin Bilic was one defeat away against Huddersfield Town from the sack. Uh, his players didn't perform a miracle on that Monday night, but they certainly turned up and, and won a game which um, was, was, well, effect, essential to, to, to Bilic's survival. However, since then, the manner of the abject defeat at Wembley to Tottenham um, does not reflect well uh, on, on Billich. And you have to say that the uh, two, the joint owners of West Ham have had itchy trigger fingers, I think, for more than a month now. 
Carlo Ancelotti's availability, I think, will only intensify uh, that itch. And I could quite reasonably see there being some movements um, in that. Duncan, I mean, would you think that Carlo would stick it out for for more than a season? Or do you think if he did take the West Ham job, it would be short-term basis? Um, because I think you've got quite strong opinions on where he should be ending up. Well, look, look uh, the West Ham job is definitely you're right to flag that one up as the as the one that could be earliest. Um, Sullivan and Gold have always tried tried to avoid sacking managers, but as far as Bilic is concerned, he has he's seen himself as a dead man walking since. Um, the start of the season, essentially, since the since the, the results started to go badly during the season, and um, in his view, Sullivan pulled the plug on on uh, proper spending in the window, um, stopped him from signing uh, William Carvalho from Sporting, who he'd, who was his first choice, and he thought key to their their midfield structure for this season. So, Bilic wouldn't be surprised if he got the sack. And having a guy like Carlo Ancelotti on the market is clearly an opportunity for West Ham to basically bat, you know, above, above higher in the order than they should be. You know, they they shouldn't be able to get a, a manager of Carlo Ancelotti's abilities and um, a guy who uh, has for several years now been looked at as a candidate for every top job in European football. Um, if if Carlo was prepared. To take the, the job um, of West Ham for on a long-term basis for exactly that reason, because I think at the end of this season there's a very good chance that one of, if not more, of Chelsea, Arsenal, and Liverpool could become open or will become open. And if if those jobs become open, then Carlo Ancelotti is going to be a serious candidate for all of them. In fact, when Matt Chelsea were looking for a long-term replacement for Jose Mourinho um, just over a year ago. Um, they went to Carlo Ancelotti and asked him to return to the club as, as a replacement for, la- for last season. And the only reason Carlo turned that job down was because he had already given his word to Bayern Munich that he was going to take over there. So um, unless Abramovich's position on Ancelotti has changed, uh, should Antonio Conte... Um, leave the club at the end of the season or earlier, as he intimated um, this week in an interview in Italy, talking about how he didn't plan to remain much longer in uh, English football and he saw himself going back to Italy before too long, then Carlo Ancelotti is the obvious candidate. But you might, I'd, I'd be interested to know what, you, what your feeling is and what Carlo will do because he's a well, guy you've <clears throat> Yeah, I think... I do think, Duncan, that um, he is more motivated to continue working than take a sabbatical. However, um, you'd have to ask yourself, at West Ham, is he on a heading to nothing? You know, if he keeps them up, then great. You might earn a couple of million euros in a bonus. But the, 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 any you know, credit he gets for it will be fairly low-key. But with a termination at the end of the season as an option, he could then take up any offer from Liverpool, Chelsea, um, Arsenal that you mentioned. Um, Carlo was quite a laid-back person. He had quite a lot of time off, if you remember, when he had his back operation um, before joining Bayern Munich. And so he is used to having a sort of mini-sabbatical. I think he'd be tempted uh, to come back to London. He still has a home in London. Um, and maybe do the West Ham job for seven months, should it be offered to him. 
I think one thing we should say, uh, which is the, some of, one of the wonderful, uh, salacious ironies that football throws up, is that West Ham entertains Swansea City tomorrow at three o'clock and Saturday this weekend. And of course, his old assistant, <laughs> Paul Clement, is manager of Swansea City. And if anything, is just as hungry, if not more, for points than Slavin Bilic is um, with regard to his own position. So it would be uh, quite a, an, an irony if uh, a defeat by Paul Swansea City brought her about Bilic's uh, sacking and the return to the Premier League of his old boss. Um, let's look out for that one then, Henry. And, and why do we think uh, the Liverpool job might be an option for him? Is, is Klopp a, a possible uh, contender for the now vacant post at, in Munich? No, that, that's that's not not my thinking there. I think you've just got to look at what's happening with Liverpool at the moment. Um, very poor start to the season. Um, obvious defensive issues, obvious issues in midfield, obvious issues with the goalkeeper. None of those things have been solved, despite them having a a big transfer budget to work on this summer. And you know, I read a piece by Tony Evans about um, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. Tony Evans, you know, a huge Liverpool supporter, guy who's written a lot of books about the club, but all, you know, very well connected and and, and always an interesting um, opinion in what's happening there. And he, you know, he, he was he was very critical of the football and saying it's not it's not heavy metal football anymore. It's more like a little mix video. Um, it's something that you know flatters to deceive and looks pretty, but it's got no substance. And if he also pointed out. He also talked about the um, the sort of the, the 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 great support Liverpool fans have for their managers, the great belief they have in a manager when he comes in, and the kind of uh, the ferocity of their support. But that support turns when when things when they see eventually when they see that things aren't aren't going to happen for them, and they aren't going to win the title with the manager. They they do tend to lose faith in the guy, and you've just got to look at what happened to Brendan Rodgers as a, as a great that. <clears throat> and if Klopp can't turn the results around this season, and essentially you're looking at he's got to get Champions League qualification or win a trophy. He's already missed out on one trophy. I cannot see him winning the Champions League you probably do enough to get into the knockout stage of the Champions League, so that eliminates the Europa League as an option for them. So then we're talking about FA Cup, because they're not going to win the Premier League with this squad and the way they're playing. And in fact, if you look at the Premier League, the chances are it's going to be a struggle to get Champions League qualification, because we've got to say that Manchester City and Manchester United starts, even with the injuries they have at the moment, suggest that those two are going to be vying for the title possibly with Chelsea if they can hold it together. And then you're looking at a battle between Tottenham, who are, who are strong, Liverpool and Arsenal for that fourth qualifying place. So then we get to the end of the season and let's say Klopp hasn't achieved any of those things. Do FSG stick with them for another season? Yeah. Well, two, if it goes on. two quick put. Two, two, one, Julian Nagelsmann of, uh, is, is the, I think, the, the anointed one for Bayern Munich. Unlike um, a lot of stupid uh, clubs in England, they I mean, don't sack managers not knowing who they want to get in. So they will already know exactly who it is. And, and, you know, from all reports in Germany and from what I've heard, Nagelsmann is the, the, the coach that they have chosen. Secondly, on Klopp, 
Fenway Sports Group are a business. Um, first and foremost, they run sports franchises, but they run them for money and profit. They will not uh, put up with Klopp, uh, not winning trophies, but also not achieving a good profit for the club, which um, in, I think in the last two weeks, his record as manager has gone below Brendan Rodgers' record as manager. And Rodgers is the one coach who's got closer to the Premier League title for Liverpool than anyone else in the last 22 years. So they sacked Rodgers on the basis that he was underperforming. I think there's no doubt they will sack Klopp if Liverpool do not win a trophy this season and don't make Champions League. I think the, the, the love affair uh, will be over and therefore Ancelotti would be in prime position to take over at Anfield. OK, here's a, here's a quick-fire uh, round for you based on Ancelotti that I'm just coming up with off the top of my head. But why don't I say the name of the club and you tell me whether it would be good for Carlo or bad for Carlo and good for the club or bad for the club. We got it? Got it. So if I say Aberdeen, you might say good for Carlo. Possibly good for the club. <laughs> okay. Right. Chelsea. Um, good for the club, bad for Carlo. Manchester United. Uh, good for Carlo. It's a, it's a job he'd wanted in the past. Um, bad for the club. Liverpool. I think Liverpool, good for the club, good for Carlo. Glasgow Celtic. Um, good for Carlo. They've got some good Italian restaurants in Glasgow. Good for the club, <laughs> obviously. Glasgow Rangers. Um Good for the club, bad for Carlo. Arsenal. Um, good for Carlo, um, although I think he could do better. Very good for the club. And West Ham. Uh, good for the club. <clears throat> I'd say you'd have to. Carlo would have to think very carefully about um, taking that job in the short or long term. Well, I th- you know, I think it's an indication of where West Ham are that you've been actually talking about it. And you know, they've, they've got a big new stadium. They're, they're in. Uh, you know, London, which is attractive, you, you know, there's the chance that West Ham are emerging as a bigger club than they might have been previously, and this might just be the next step. But anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about. We will move on to another United, and that of uh, Manchester, um, another club from that city who are struggling with injuries. They've got, uh, obviously, Paul Pogba out. There's now uh, Michael Carrick's out. We've got uh, Marlon Fellaini out. Phil Jones is out. Seems to be a bit of a crisis in the uh, centre of the park, to be honest with you. Duncan, what's, uh, what do we make of this situation and, and how are Manchester United going to cope with it? Yeah, Henry, it's, look, it's, it's a real problem for Manchester United to have so many injuries in one area of the field so early in the season. Um, obviously, the really big important one's Paul Pogba. So they're missing the guy who is central to the planning, um, of, of the strategic planning of Mourinho, um, both in defensive side and in attacking side in the team. And they could be missing him for a long time. You know, it's it's. Revi- I, I wrote for the the Sunday Times um, a couple of weeks ago that the fear at Manchester United was that injury could be as much as twelve weeks. Um, it's been interesting that since, you know, I think we've had two, three, four press conferences since then, and whenever Mourinho is asked about the injury, he says he doesn't know how long it's going to be, and he doesn't want to talk about it, and he's got other options. The problem that they've got on top of that is they now have Maro Anfellini with an Achilles injury that was caused by Shane Long's tackle at Southampton, and we know that Fellini's been 
a crucially important player to Mourinho in terms of switching him into the team for certain games and switching him into the team at certain times in a game to allow Pogba to move forward and change the strategic dynamic. They've got Carrick out um, for a while, so they can't use him. Maybe he would only be a sort of fill-in uh, option for them this season, but they can't use him at the moment of need. And then they've lost Andres Pereira, who um, we, we talked in the podcast at, about how Mourinho wanted to keep him in the squad this season, and and was you know he was extremely unhappy that he had to let him go on the last day of the Spanish window on loan to Valencia because the player had asked for that move and that opportunity to go to Valencia because he felt he'd get more playing time there. And the calculation was, okay, the player wants to do it. We probably won't be able to give him much playing time in the first part of the season because we don't have such a, a, a busy schedule. So we'll let him go, but we'll put a um, recall clause in, in that deal. And then, ironically, we're now what, a month further on, and Pereira would be playing in this stitch. There's no doubt about it, Pereira would be used in these circumstances to give him options in the midfield. On Wednesday night, he used a 3-4-1-2 formation against CSKA Moscow, which worked very well for them, but that was partly because CSKA also play a three-back system, so it made sense to fill up the centre of the field but also because of the shortage of options he had in midfield. So he's already having to, to, to change the shape of the team, not just the personnel, but change the shape of the team to accommodate for Pogba and Fellini's injury. Um, so you, you then have to see where they go to next and how, how, how many, it hasn't cost them points yet, but will it cost them points in the period when Paul Pogba is out and when yeah. the other options aren't available? And there's a secondary issue here as well, Henry, um, with regards to Pogba, uh, which is not as discussed as, as might be the case. And that's the, um, the fact that Pogba has for some time um, employed a personal trainer, um, which you might think, Henry, because I know you yourself, uh, your body's a temple and you've got your own personal trainer. But mm -hmm. personal trainers don't necessarily, uh, in fact probably do not um, have the same uh, very forensic regimen of exercise that specifically assigned and suits a elite footballer. A personal trainer is by definition, and I'm not by any way uh, decrying the profession as a whole, but looks after a person's general fitness and well-being. Now, Paul Pogba, the player that he is, as well as the fact that his... Um, his own, his own physiology as well. He's a very tall individual. Uh, that means longer hamstrings, more stress, etc., etc. Now, we also, I think, pictures of uh, Romelu Lukaku and Paul Pogba in LA in the summer um, before uh, Manchester United's pre-season, training with a personal trainer, a, a, a very nice uh, apartment or indeed villa overlooking Los Angeles. And even then, some of the exercises they were doing while general and you know easily anaerobic, aerobic, etc., etc., probably were not suited to the pre-season of an elite professional footballer. There, are, there is a worry at Manchester United that Pogba's employment of a PT is in conflict with his training regimen at Manchester United, and that the two things, unless they are dovetailed very, very carefully, can actually cause 
or at least exacerbate or increase the likelihood of injury like the one that Pogba has suffered. Now, that's something which Jose Mourinho and his fitness uh, coaches are addressing at this moment in time. But, as we know, Pogba's a very single-minded guy. He likes his personal trainer. He likes to be able to train and exercise outside of club time. But it's up to uh, United to try and rein this in and make sure that whatever he's doing extracurricular is, in fact, uh, in synchronicity with what he's doing at Carrington. And um, that's something, I think, which will become more of an issue unless it, uh, well, it will become more of an issue unless it's resolved properly between the club and Pogba. Well, I'll tell you, as an aside, um, Pogba certainly hangs out with uh, some NBA players. I've seen footage of him with Joel Embiid. Yep. Um, now, the NBA offseason is full of, social media is full of players doing workouts. LeBron James posts uh, footage from him at the gym. I know the, uh, Christoph Porzingis in the NBA at, at the New York Knicks is always posting videos of him in the gym. I don't know if this is something that Pogba's maybe picked up from his his NBA mates, um, or whether it's, it's very possible, Henry. If you think about it, we saw see, again seen lots of social media of um, Pogba, um, you know, shooting hoops, mm-hmm. um, and I don't mean Celtic players, uh, but you know, he's 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 done a lot of stuff like that. And you think about a guy of his physical stature, he's he's built like a basketball player, but he's not he's, as an elite footballer. He's not designed to jump three, four feet in the air for a slam dunk because that's going to test the very soft tissue muscle that he bad, has. Bad Same. for the knees, bad for the back. Um, it as, is. If, if you, if impact, you say he's built, like a, yeah, you he's built like a basketball player, but it's worth checking out on the, you'll find it on Google somewhere, but there's a picture of Paul Bogba next to um, Joel Embiid of uh, Philadelphia and Pogba looks like a little boy. I mean, Embiid is head and shoulders taller than him. It just shows you how big some of these guys are. Um, anyway, we shall... Just, just, just to add one thing, is, um, in principle, you'd think it would be great that, that footballers are doing additional fitness work in their off time. Um, you know, it used to be the issue with footballers, they'd go in the summer and get, get pissed all summer and they'd come back and the, the managers had to, to spend three weeks in the sand dunes getting them down to, yeah. to the proper fighting weight. It's the opposite now. The, the issue within clubs now is more they're worried about players doing too much work by themselves because they can't control the work. And that the players are under such physical demands playing Premier League and Champions League football where the, you know, the, the amount of sprinting, the, the amount of um, intense physical activity in a game has, has increased exponentially over, over the last few decades. That part, a big part of the job of managing a football club now is to keep the players on the pitch for the duration of the season. And that means saying... Where has he got a potential injury? Is he doing too much with this muscle group? Is he doing too much of this kind of work? Do we do we need to stop him playing this game? Or do we need to uh, reduce his training schedule for, for a period? And that all has to be controlled within the domain of the club. Once you get a private trainer involved, then obviously the control goes and they don't have the information and they don't have the collaboration with the club to get this to work. And, you know, there's a good example at Manchester United this week. Antonio Valencia was rested for the CSKA game because as a pre- preventative measure, they felt he was, you know, he, he was 
not quite in the right condition to play that game. So instead of putting him into the game and risking an injury, they kept him back in Manchester to, to have him for the Premier League game coming up and for the rest of the season. And that, that's the way a top football club works, to, to keep its playing assets on the pitch. And it's something that Jose Mourinho has always prided himself on. Well, as Ian, as Ian says, my body is a, is a temple, so please remove your footwear before entering it. Um, Ian, you, you uh, apparently uh, are doing a, a bit of a, uh, an expedition uh, across the mountaintops of, of Englandshire. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and whether um, some of us can, can donate some funds to indeed, your I'm, I, I, Indeed, I'm back in training, um, not with football boots, but walking boots, Henry, um, doing England's 24 highest peaks in 24 hours, oh, uh, actually next weekend. Um, so starting um, seven days from tomorrow, um, about 13 hours, uh, around 26 miles over two days. Um, so it will be interesting. Um, I've been in training. Doing my uh, mountain runs, etc. Uh, I've been walking 12, 13 miles at any one stint. Yes, it's all in aid of overcoming multiple sclerosis charity, uh, OMS, which you can find online. And uh, I will post a little uh, update on my Twitter, um, Garbo SJ, as uh, Jonathan does not refer it to as. Yeah. And uh, and anyone out there who's listening can uh, can see me uh, struggle, suffer, or indeed be elated in uh, that order as I go through that process. Well, well, good on you, Ian. Great effort, even though, I mean, they don't really have mountains down, at, down in that side, side of not, the country. Not compared do to Scotland, don't no. they? <laughs> yeah. let you see you do the mountaintops of Scotland in 24 hours. I've, anyway. I've done them already. <laughs> um, so we've, uh, we, we flagged up at the top of the show um, a little, uh, that we would talk about PSG and the uh, little tete-a-tete uh, between our boy Neymar and... Mr. Cavani, but uh, what do we want to talk about? What do we want to say about that? Is it just a uh, bashed egos having a go at one another, or well, is there something deeper rooted? Last last week on the podcast, Henry, uh, when you were uh, obviously attending to your butterflies, um, Mr. Hunter and I had quite a long discussion about Neymar's temperament. Uh, where well, did he do the right thing to do the wrong thing? I think the um, what's developed this week, and I think it's absolutely incredible but also uh significant of the people who own Paris Saint-Germain i.e um the Qatari owners that they offered Cavani a million euros to give penalty taking duties to Neymar because of course this is what caused the spat in the first place and Cavani too he's absolute credit told him in no uncertain terms where to go and said well I'll be taking the penalties thank you very much if you think that little Brazilian twerp is going to get me out of that one then you're wrong I think he's entirely within his rights to do that, as, as tempting an offer as it may have been. But I, I suspect that now these are reports. We can't say for sure that's happened in PSG. We should say have since denied making that offer. Uh, I've heard differently from my contacts. However, whether it happened or not, the fact of the matter, it's in the public domain. Neymar must now look and say to himself, right, so my manager's not prepared to tell Cavani where to go because I'm penalty taker. The owners are not prepared to tell Cavani where to go because I'm the penalty taker. So who's the biggest player at this club exactly? Because I'm the guy brought in 500 grand a week. I'm the main man here. If I want to take the penalties, I take the penalties. No one needs to pay him. Someone just needs to tell him. And I think that this is going to rumble this one because Neymar is obviously not pleased about this. He, he feels like his position as the superstar player at PSG is being compromised. 
by the fact that no one in authority wants to tell Cavani and put him in his place. Now, that's yeah, the man, surely the manager just needs to grow up here and decide <laughs> I'm, I'm, he wants to take a penalty well, and get on with it. Duncan, what, I mean, what do you think of Unai Emery? If you were Unai Emery, what would you have done in this situation? I think I think they they've, they've built a situation which is which is turned into a disaster. The situation should never have occurred because they should have determined who were taking penalties before the start of the season. And if that if that was going to be an issue, first the manager should have detected that it was a possible issue because this isn't simply about taking penalties. It's about Neymar's introduction into the squad and the feeling. Uh, amongst the number of the players who were who were put on the transfer market to to try and sort out the FFP problem that was caused not not really by Neymar's transfer but by Kylian Mbappe's transfer and the, and the, the hoo-ha that the the rest of European top football clubs uh, raised over that once they because they felt they were that PSG were getting above themselves and taking two top players in one window. But the, this needed to be solved early, and it hasn't been solved early, and, it, and it, it's, it's now a serious problem. So you've got, in the space of a couple of weeks, Neymar having a spat on the field with his strike partner overtaking penalties. Then Neymar uh, mysteriously being injured for the next match that PSG had to play. So, so the, the club's top asset then disappears from the next game, and they drop points. And then on this week in the Champions League game, PSG are comfortably beating Bayern Munich in a match that, that, that um, finishes Carlo Ancelotti as their coach with a few minutes to go and Neymar has a, a, an absolute petulant kick at a Bayern Munich defender from behind which is severely fortunate the referee didn't have the balls um, to send him off for presumably because he was scared to give Neymar a direct red card and take him out of Champions League action for, the, for most of the rest of the knockout stages. So They've got a serious problem here, and and it's not going to be helped by Neymar's character. Because if you, you talk to the people who know Neymar as an individual, they stress that he's not a mature footballer. He's not, he's in a different type of character to Cristiano Ronaldo or a Lionel Messi. He's uh, they almost describe him as being the PlayStation generation's footballer. It, it, he's more, it's more appealing to him to, to do tricks on the field and to embarrass an opponent than it is to do what Cristiano Ronaldo is trying to do, which is score the most goals anyone's ever scored in the history of the game and be recognised not just as the best player on the planet at the moment, but the best player of all time. That's his ambition. He's completely focused on it. What's Neymar completely focused on? At the moment, he's focused on being... The, the biggest man at, at PSG and upset that he, he's not getting his way because they he should do because they spent all that money on him and that's that's not a good situation that's not a good set I, of circumstances it's and something the Qataris and have to solve and, and even more significant Duncan that uh, when Cavani scored a, a beautiful a beautiful goal against Bayern Munich every one of the players except the goalkeeper went and and uh, and mobbed him and congratulated him except our little Brazilian friend who sauntered up about 10 minutes after everyone else and gave a little pat there and said, yeah, well done, Edinson, uh, nice one kind of thing, but remember, I'm on pens. So um, that's a dressing which is clearly uh, upset by the way that Neymar's conducted himself. And, you know, we've got to say the old adage, one man does not make a team. And Neymar apparently thinks he does. And that's going to be a problem for Emery going forward in this season. 
bunch of prima donnas, symptomatic of the modern game. Wouldn't have happened in my day, bar humbug. Okay, gents, thank you very much. <laughs> Football bloody or, hell, Henry. <laughs> indeed. Um, <laughs> thank you for uh, for joining us on this uh, episode of the Transfer Window Podcast. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Audio Boom. Um, it's available on a bunch of other podcast platforms if uh, you use a specific one have a look and I'm sure you'll find us we'll be back next week uh, usually on a Thursday this week it was a Friday who knows what day it will be next week check every day and see see if we're, if we're back or not thanks very much goodbye goodbye